from Rixie, this is Frameform, a show about movies, moving, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Weber. I'm Jen Ray. And I'm Claire Schweitzer. Have you been watching anything fun, Jen? (laughs) I have not been watching anything fun, but I did watch something that made me think and like reactivated my mission in a way. Um, I watched Athlete A, which is the Netflix (gasps) documentary on the Nasser, Larry Nasser situation that was highly publicized. And yeah, I mean, as you two know, but maybe not our listeners know, is I work with Youth Protection Advocates and Dance, and we do a lot of work with all sorts of different aspects of what that advocacy is with youth. But part of that is to do with sexual abuse situations or exploitation or grooming situations and these sorts of really horrific things that are actually quite prevalent in youth sports. So, I mean, watching this documentary focused on the gymnastics world, it's just such a powerful medium because people can see something play out. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to hear some pretty horrific things, but it's a way for you to understand the narrative in a way you can't get from the news. And I think it's important to see Stories like that because you witness how it takes a lot of people that brush things under the rug or just are bystanders for true evil to take place on such a scale. And it just takes one person to start a movement to go the other way and try and seek justice. Yeah. And it just shows just how like how toxic cultures are just perpetuated and how they're normalized within certain sects of the community. Like I remember when that your story first broke how, you know, only a few gymnasts, like well-respected gymnasts, former Olympians came forward that the community completely turned, like turned against them saying, oh, they're just coming out for their, you know, for relevance. And then 250 gymnasts later, you know, here, here we are. And then you can't deny it. Like, I mean, and that's the heartbreaking thing sometimes is the fact you need those numbers for it to be undeniable. You know, it's it's truly heartbreaking, but I do think that it was is really emotional to see their testimonies and feel that there's at least some level of justice by the end of it. Definitely not a fun watch, but something that I think is important for us to watch and for us to then think like this isn't an industry where people are mandated reporters and where there are measures in place to deal with these sorts of issues as they arise. Whereas in dance, there are no checks and balances, which is why a lot of things continue to happen. It's really scary. For context, let's recap in a nutshell what the situation is with this whole global pandemic thing that we're living through. Almost overnight, people were ordered to stay at home. Schools shut down. People were only supposed to leave their homes for essential trips to, like, the grocery store. Theaters across the world shut down. Shows were canceled. Everything moved online to like virtual and digital adaptations. Like, what is this? It's been a tough time for a lot of people, especially small businesses. I mean, one of my favorite stores that I went to nearly every day in Oakland just closed down because they couldn't weather this pandemic. And it's also been super devastating for the arts. And I mean, not just for the performers who, again, like, you know, there's their life's work and in many cases, a very short career is being put on indefinite pause. But the ripple effect of, you know, the technicians and in my case, the videographers that shoot these shows. However, it's also been a time of reprioritization and innovation 
I think anyone with any kind of internet connection can see that. And a very um, kind of ironic way, we're almost more connected than ever now as a global community. Like I've been able to catch up with so many people who I, you know, haven't been able to see in, in years. And I just feel on a personal level, just more, more clarity toward um, what I want to be doing as well. Yeah. I mean, everyone has been turned upside down. The film industry, a big one, you know, as we're at home watching these documentaries, watching these Netflix movies and also launching of streaming service, other streaming services, Everything is basically at a pause. Productions, festivals, premieres, like we've said, the movie theaters. Things have gotten basically tighter. The belt has been tightened and taking a stop for themselves and struggling to survive. Basically, like you've said, Claire, one of your favorite businesses is closed down. I mean, everyone who was working in Hollywood had a work for a few weeks and then they don't know what's going on next. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of dancers that tour for a living performing or, you know, even just dance studios, these these institutions that are part of the daily life of so many families internationally, they just shut down and some are not going to be able to reopen. I mean, fortunately, with the technology we have available, a lot of video call and social platforms were leveraged to maintain training and connection and even some pretty cool live performances and unconventional experiences that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise um, thought of. You know, I guess it's a necessity as the mother of invention in this situation, for sure. Yeah, and time will tell whether a lot of these new platforms and these new ways of working become the norm. And even as we're recording this episode, there's so much uncertainty about what the future holds and how long we're really going to be in this holding pattern. But today, we're taking some time to focus our conversation on what it's like living and creating in these unprecedented circumstances. Yeah, so we have three films that we're going to share with you all today. And you can follow along and watch these films in the show notes. Basically, there has been some inventive creativeness going on. Uh, Let's talk about our first film, Parked. Jen, you picked out this film, which is kind of like a doc style kind of work. When I say a doc style, I'm saying there's also a performance that happens. Mm -hmm. How does this relate to what's going on now and what the new normal could be? So I first discovered it on Facebook. Tasha Lawson, who's part of the, a prominent figure in the tap dance community in Alberta, actually, like she shared it it just kind of came up casually. And I liked the thumbnail and was like, I'm going to click on that. It looks kind of cool. Parked. And the concept is that there was a socially distanced performance that happened. Of course, it was in Los Angeles because, you know, you got to have a thriving community and support to make things cool things like this happen. But it was like a live performance. And the video that was actually released is kind of like a behind the scenes with, you know, also actual performance footage and including stuff from people's phones as they were watching. And It basically happens. I mean, there's this idea of like the circle in a lot of dances and especially in our dances that have the most, you know, ancient roots. Like this idea of a circle as community is just this symbol. And it's really beautiful that the audience in this film, they're parked in their cars and it's like a drive in dance performance, but they form a circle and that provides the light for the performers. And at the end, like they're honking and they're flashing their headlights. And it's something that 
wouldn't have been as cool if we weren't in these unique circumstances. If it was like, yeah, but you could just like watch them on stage or like, you know, it would still be a cool idea. But I think the fact that it's happening during COVID, it's kind of hitting us on this emotional level. And I should really mention the key collaborators on this film. So it's directed by Ivan Cash and Dan Adelson, produced by Cash Studios and Jacob Jonas, a company in Los Angeles. I think this is a great, uh, I guess we could say social experiment in a way because I've never participated in a performance where I'm in my car watching it. And when you're in your car, as you're watching this film, everyone is participating, including the audience, as they sit in their car, the stage lights turn into the headlights of the car. Or the headlights turn into the stage lights, I should say, which I think is just so cool. And it definitely brings this unity of this shared experience of being together and watching this performance play out. I mean, the dancers, they come out from behind the cars all around them. So it's like coming to get, you see this physical reaction of actually coming together, yet everyone is still apart. I think this should be used more often as a performance version or kind of style. People are reacting to just being a part of it. They're like, wow, this is so cool. Even though they're not participating, but they're participating by just being there, being present. You know, because it's not that proscenium space where you're on a dancers are on a stage and separated from the audience. For this, everyone is a part of it. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of film festivals and some dance film festivals are even doing like the drive-in model. Like there's a festival in Norway that, I mean, is conveniently on a giant, you know, in, in a rural area. So a lot of people can drive in and see screenings. That's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. But I think that this time, I know we're seeing it in the digital space because, I mean, most of us are confined at home and only have the digital space to get to. But I think that this time can also lead to so many interesting possibilities as far as site-specific collaboration goes and really test audience environments by necessity and not by, hey, let's see, you know, let's see if this idea works out. It just, and this is a great example of that happening and really, you know, and you also have to consider like the audience's, the audience's viewing space as well, like where within the cars, just like looking, looking through the windshield, there's already so much obstruction and I mean, the necessary blind spots as well. So I think that this time can really offer so much um, exploration in that regard. Well, and even just think about how we watched this film, like we all accessed it through Vimeo, which I found like on social media and the way that we're experiencing dance is different now. And we don't know how long it's going to stay this way too. And I think it's going it, to, it has, and it will continue to change the way that people conceive their work. I mean, I know that I've seen a lot more being done with smartphones and people just opting for that as their primary tool of choice. Which I think is totally fine. Yeah, but even like I've seen ads for like Apple and other huge companies where they're using... Yeah, like... Reebok. Yeah, it's like that whole aesthetic and it's kind of... It's like a vortex of some kind, you know, because everything, even the really expensive stuff's trying to look amateur and everything centered around this idea of like phone consumption. It's, it's really interesting. And I think it's more intensified right now. 
And Apple, I mean, they've always been about like the shared experience, a human experience, and specifically the human experience with an iPhone. It's definitely something that is not new to the eye. But yes, at, during this whole thing, we are definitely seeing more commercials that are saying like, we feel the same as you. We are at home, you know, shooting on a webcam, working from this situation, which I think is a huge and smart marketing ploy, if anything. And I mean, in addition to smartphones, we're seeing entire projects or performances or final videos being designed around Zoom as well or other video platforms. I feel like Zoom definitely has like a big chunk of the activity happening. For sure. I mean, one of our our next film that we have is an actual live dance performance done on Zoom. And this is brought to you by uh, the National Water Dance 2020 performance that's actually was supposed to be performing at the National Monument in Washington, D.C. by Orange Grove Dance. They did this virtual performance on Zoom with the direction of Matt Reeves, which I think is a very inventive live performance. I've seen like dance parties on Zoom but I've never seen anything this inventive instead of just people like, I'm doing the Macarena or I'm doing this little dance routine all together with all these 20 people where this one was really playing with the idea of film installation, which I thought was really well done. What did you guys think of it? Yeah, I kind of like the format as well. And there is sort of a quality to the way that we see the film that kind of lets you be with it. And like lets you kind of almost tune in and out in a way like you're being in an event without like having like holding yourself to being in one particular place at one particular time. But I think a big part of the Zoom idea or like Zoom performance idea is that there is still sort of like this notion of something happening live and people watching in unity with each other. Like sometimes you'll see even like chats going on and sort of like comments on the the performance as it's going on as well. And so, yeah, Zoom's not the only sort of live streaming platform that's utilizing this. Like Facebook's also been doing this. Oh, IGTV. Oh, yeah. IGTV as well. That's been huge for classes too. Right, right. Just to clarify, I made a wrong announcement. This dance was actually supposed to be performed at the National Mall Lincoln Memorial and the reflecting pool because it's centered around water. So not the Washington Monument. But yeah, like we were saying, I think using these digital platforms is a great way to people to drop in and see them. I know with Zoom, you kind of need a link or a password to get in where it's really nice to hop in on something that's going on live on IGTV or something that's been presented on Facebook Live. I know it's a hate and love relationship with some people who prefer the theater space, but I've always been someone who favored the internet approach. I think it's just more accessible. For those who don't know, I used to manage a curation library called Screen Dance Collective, which you can still access today. And uh, basically our motive was to get dance films out to people who can't go to festivals or who can't get access to them at their university. 
How many hundreds of films do you have on there? I would guess you guys have over like 200 or something. I don't know. Because you would just, sometimes we would just like get down a hole and just like add, 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 add. But then we like went to a, we did have an approach for a while um, where we would like write about these films and it it took too much time on our plate because all of us have day jobs. But uh, like I said, like I, I favorite the internet platform as a tool to get work out. And I think what's going on right now in the world of like performance and sharing work is pretty awesome. And because this performance um, done by Orange Grove Dance, I think it's really cool. And I think there should be more experimentation with, you know, live work on screen. I mean, people were doing that. We could say back when Lucinda Childs was creating, she's done live video work while dancers are performing on stage. We should be, you know, colliding with interdisciplinary work more often. I agree, but I hate to be a drag. Um, But something that does worry me is like just the legal side of this and ownership and like how do you prevent piracy and You know, like a lot of, I mean, as a festival curator, of course, it's like something that's turned my world upside down where it's like, do I do a live event? Do I go online? And I'm seeing so many, I mean, we're all seeing so many different examples of what events are choosing to do. And I'm just so worried about how do you decide what's fair to monetize digitally? And how do you program something that makes sense given the circumstances? And how do you control that? filmmakers feel that their work is secure if you're going to screen it on the internet. You know, it's like someone could pirate it. And I just don't know if I could really do everything possible to keep it completely safe. I just, it's it's kind of scary on, from that perspective. Totally. And it does raise a lot of questions about, you know, potentially devaluing the work as well. And I know this is a huge issue with dance in general, especially when it comes to dance classes, since a lot of them were initially being offered for free. And many companies were streaming performances for free. Some screen dance festivals have been streaming for free. And it raises questions about, sure, you want as many people to access this work as possible. But at the same time, like you don't want people to take it for granted and really, you really see the value in not only the the films that are being made, but the minds, you two are perfect examples, like the minds behind crafting the, you know, these experiences. And I feel really bad. I know that some events, like, they've received their grant money. And even if they're, like, they're going through all this uh, struggle adapting to COVID and they're like, I can't handle doing this whole, like, trying to make our entire event go online. Like, it's a really challenging time, though, because they still have to produce something. But I think out of it, both on the event side and on the actual film side, we're seeing a lot. And, you know, of course, live performance adaptations. We're seeing a lot of things that I don't... It's kind of accelerated the speed of production. I feel like we would have gotten here, but now we just got here faster given, you know, lack of choice. I definitely see your point there. I mean, again, this is like we're entering this creative quarantine. You know, everyone is just kind of trying to make the time worth it that they have. I mean, artists were launching music albums and they were surprised themselves that they were like, wow, I got that done within two months. And usually that takes me like two, four years. I could understand that. And hopefully we don't reach a burnout to this point. But 
looking at other works that were also done in a short span of time to make it relevant was Talia Shea Levin's Isolations film. Yes. Yes. So I had the opportunity to talk to Talia on the phone. We got a little soundbite for you. So enjoy. I'm Talia Shea Levin. I live in LA and I'm originally from Washington, D.C. I'm a filmmaker, I'm a director, a writer, and a producer. I work on a whole different a whole bunch of different types of media, but what we're talking about today is the dance films that I direct. Yeah. So um, you did Isolations, which actually got a lot of recognition this, actually this past pandemic or this past quarantine, whatever we want to call it. My biggest question for you is just basically like, was this a film that you actually planned before COVID or during COVID? So everyone that I worked with on it is someone who I had either worked with before or really wanted to work with. Some people leading right up until everything started shutting down. But the actual project itself came purely out of a response to suddenly everyone that I work with, everyone that I love, everyone creative that I know, all of our projects falling apart and us just wondering what we could do with this time and how to kind of stay creative and stay productive is the wrong word because I know that has so many negative connotations like you don't have to be productive during a pandemic but we were just like here are all these things that we can't do but maybe there's something that we can do totally I love that I I wasn't like sure because it was just so well done and well prepared and yeah no I I just I was Happy to see something. I mean, I, I know a lot of people were doing work during COVID, but um, it was so surprising to see something executed in a good amount of time, like during this shutdown. So because of the time that you had and you worked with like people that you knew, um, that you knew, was this your original plan or was it different? Well, it came together from a few different things. So the person who wrote the song and who performs on the song, um, Amanda Lee Jerry, I was actually supposed to make music videos for her. We had scheduled them for like April and May. We had had some meetings to brainstorm what we were going to do. We were getting ready for it. They were going to be dance videos. Um, but she was one of the first people that I called like, hey, do you have a song lying around or is there something that you've been wanting to put together for a while that could somehow be related to now? Uh, maybe not too literally, but just is there something that captures a feeling that feels relevant to you? And she had something as I think you know, a lot of musicians do have these pieces of songs. Um, she had something that I loved. And then at the same time, as she started working on that, um, my cinematographer, Adam Lean, had been wanting, he, he had all this expired Fujifilm, which nice. they don't make that, they don't make that stock anymore. Fuji doesn't make motion picture film. Bring yeah. back Fuji motion picture stock. Uh, but he had all this film and he was like, we should use it. And I, you know, you get caught up in so many other things and work and whatever. And so I had not really found a way to use it, but it was the first thing that I thought of. 
when everything else was canceled was like i i always want to shoot on film sometimes it's hard to get producers to agree to it but we're doing this on our own and he wants to do it and i want to do it so we'll make that happen and the other kind of main creative uh main creative contact on it at least at getting it off the ground was Maritza Navarro, the choreographer, and she runs the LA Dance Film Festival, which I've been on the the jury for, and Mm. I've wanted to work with her for so long, and it was just like, maybe I can see if other friends of mine are looking for something to to do to take their mind off of yeah. off of everything that's happening for a little bit. So it was really those three people that came together and then my editor Lynn Hong as well, who's also in the video. That kind of team of four uh or is that five? I don't know, but we were we were in it together making it making this video happen. And it was really like a great collective experience. That's awesome. So you were working with Maritza and um, how did she develop the choreography for this? Especially since like everyone was, you know, basically apart. Yeah, it was really a challenge. Um, But one that was because I think this would have been hard if it had been a project that we had planned to do a different way. And then everything had to be transitioned to, to be virtual because we always planned for it to be virtual, we were sort of ready to face those challenges as best as we could and very sort of forgiving of, well, I thought it was going to work this way, but it didn't work this way. And actually this video that I made of the dance took way longer to upload than I thought, or this dancer is asking for another video. Can we make that? And all of that we were learning as we went because it's definitely not ideal to to learn or teach dance virtually, but she did such an amazing job making like six different videos that went out to everybody who we worked with and working directly with certain people who needed the help or or wanted just to to work with her um, on the specifics of it. But she made she made videos of herself doing it front and back and then also made like a 30 minute video where she walked through the choreography and the intention behind all of the choreography. So it wasn't just like an instructional thing. It was, you could really watch it and pause it and feel like you were in the room with someone teaching you a dance with all of the, all of the emotion and and the metaphors behind everything. That's a really cool process of like, really breaking it down front and back because you know when you're in a space you are learning it from those two angles looking at the mirror and looking at the person and then the intentional like I would love to see that kind of little manual that she built. We learn things to it from it too I mean I think it would have been great if we had like a zoom rehearsal with everybody but we were really focusing on ease as the guiding principle for this project like as chaos was raining down we were trying to be gentle on ourselves and trying to to use that both as inspiration for the dance and the music and just the way that we shot it in film especially you get so used to and in a lot of industries you get used to just working yourself to the bone and that that's a positive sign of how good you are or how hard you're working and i remember even 
when when Adam and I were making the plans for the days, we'd be like, okay, so a 12-hour day, here's what we're going to do. And then we had to stop ourselves and be like, wait, why are we doing a 12-hour day? Like, who is that for? It's just yeah. us. I mean, there's no one else. It's just the two of us. Uh, and we're going through probably the most significant historical shift as of yet in our yeah. lifetimes. Although other things have maybe surpassed that since. But we were trying to just be very receptive to what we needed and what the people we were working with needed in the moment and not go all too hard. Not that we didn't work hard, but it it just felt very, it felt like it came from a different place than it normally does. And I think that's important. I mean, like working in the film industry, you do have like, you know, time is everything. And I think that's what's so great about, I mean, this mental reset we're going through right now is just kind of learning how to adjust and learning how to like, I don't know, reevaluate what we can do during times like these and how that can be applied to, you know, just the future in general. Um, whether we still continue this kind of like remote slash distant learning or distant working. So with all of that in mind, with like working with your crew, working with your dancers, taking your time, um, what about just like when you got to set, aka a neighborhood, the houses, um, how did that process go about? How was like, what was your crew like? How many people were on your crew? How was it communicating with everybody? How'd that go? The crew was just myself and Adam, the cinematographer. It was just us. We scouted every place to determine what the best time to be there was for lighting. We were shooting in... Sometimes we would ask dancers to turn on certain lights in their house. But for the most part, visibility was pretty low anyway because we were shooting during the day and it's hard for anything inside to compete with what the sun is doing. We were just doing our best or the reverse at night. You know, it's hard to it's hard to really light an indoor space very well. But yeah, it was just us. I mean, everyone was really scared at that point and we didn't know if it was smart for us to be doing this at all. So we mm-hmm. took all the precautions that we knew to take from the minimal information we were we were getting. I mean, we took separate cars. We had masks on the whole time. And the project came from the idea of, okay, we, we feel like we can't do anything. We're scared to do, to be around anyone or go anywhere. So with that, with this new phrase that's now become common, social distancing, how do we make a project that fits within those parameters? And part of that gave us ways to play. I mean, both with shooting something on film, which I always love doing, and I've shot other projects on film, but also, and just using Adam's expired Fuji stock, but also I've always wanted to shamelessly use 70s zooms stylistically in a project. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I feel like it's a thing that sometimes you try to throw into another project, but to use that as a central, really the only kind of consistent stylistic thing to keep everything together. It was like, oh, if we're far away, well, we can play with that. We can start far and then go closer and then go farther. And like, it's very simple, but it helps keep it simple and it, it helps get the the point across if there is one or get the feeling across. 
I think it definitely gets the point across, and I always like simple is more. So how many roles did you go through? Because, you know, you don't really see much dance work with film because, you know, there's a lot of editing or a lot of, like, things that need to be redone or things that are thrown away. But you had a set routine, you know? Yeah, that that uh, definitely crossed my mind. And it's why the project actually, it, it helped with the ease thing I was uh, talking about. It helped with us managing our time a lot because originally I just wanted, I don't know, 30 people dancing in it and it to be like all kinds of different shots and details. And then it was like, we're shooting on film. Mm-hmm. We're trying not to work 12 hour days. Also, it's a two minute song. So you can only cut so many times before someone yeah. watching it hates you. So we're going to have to to streamline it. And honestly, uh, I try to always plan in advance when I make things, but I've never had something so closely match the outline before. We only had dancers learn certain parts of the dance if we knew that we were only going to use them in a certain part of the song. You know, normally, especially on digital where you're just wasting so much time, you shoot everyone doing everything as many times as you want. And this was, they only learned the part that we knew we were going to need from them. And I got there and we'd rehearse and we'd, we'd, we'd rehearse again and again using, actually using AirPods. Adam would have one in his ear and I would have yeah, one in my I ear. I, I think I saw a, a shot with someone wearing an AirPod in. <laughs> really? That's funny. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Soren, dancer at the end, is uh, wearing headphones, I think. It works. It's like, you know, everybody wears headphones at home. Yeah, well, because they would usually have a phone on in their house to be listening mm-hmm. to us talk to them. That was how we did it. And um, we'd sanitize the AirPods or Adam would just keep his. Yeah. Um, so we would talk to them, we would rehearse it, and we only shot pretty much one take of everybody. Wow. Uh, some people got two if there was something technical that went wrong, but pretty much just one take or like maybe we get a close up. But yeah, it was pretty minimal. I wish I could remember how much film we actually shot. Not very much. <laughs> Planning and going with your gut, I think, is what it all comes down to with this film or just like all filmmaking with film, actual film is all about. It's just like planning, going with your gut, just doing it. I love making things that are surreal or set in different worlds or with different forms of storytelling than um, traditional settings and film adds this really helpful layer of of something that's one step removed from reality so you can really sink into it when you're watching it sometimes digital i've always felt like it it takes a lot more to make something look like you want to go there look like you want to sink into it it sometimes it just it looks like the world i see outside my window and when i'm watching a film or a video i want to be lost in it i want to be transported somewhere and the analog mediums do that with just a sort of layer in between you that's that's part of experiencing something like it it makes it feel richer to me 
not that you can't do amazing. Of course, I shoot on digital all the time, but and I'm not a total purist. I, I love that there's the option there if the project calls for it. And yeah, this project might have might have a secondary life or it might be there's there's sort of another dance film that's in the works soon, more of like a documentary style project. Look out for that. More things coming from where the world is at now, which is very different from where the world was at in March and just looking to looking to respond uh, through movement and through filmmaking as things warp and change and we try to keep going through it. Very exciting. I can't wait to see that. Thank you so much, Talia, for, you know, calling in and having this little chat. Yeah, it was really great to talk to you. Thank you so much, Hannah. And thanks for seeking out dance films wherever they may be. Yeah, that was a really awesome opportunity that I got to talk to Talia and hear everything that she had to say regarding making of this film. I mean, she was able to collaborate with all of these people that she's worked with before or that she's always wanted to work with. And I think just getting it out within the time that she had is super impressive. And because of that, like she was able to get recognized at a lot of places. Um, I mean, she got featured in Dance Magazine, which is like, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big publication, especially in the dance world. I mean, everyone wishes that they could get into Dance Magazine at some point in their life. I mean, I think what's so great about this work is just that, you know, it was also like a healing process of like, we can take the time to make this, but still get it out when it's still relevant. I loved her comment about like the 70s style Zoom and that that whole technique because the film as a whole almost feels like it's, again, like it's in a world of its own, like it's in a time of its own. That it's in modern day L.A., but it has this aesthetic of like a just thinking like a 70s style, almost like a 70s style police show with those like very slow zooms. But something that's really interesting is that even with all that grain in the old film, and I again, I love that she used expired film, too. I think that really provides a unique look. But even with the grain, like the movement in the film reads so clearly, like even from behind, like these glared windows and like gates, it reads like so clearly, like it feels like a bunch of you know people who are trapped and just need to get out of this situation. What I love about when dance and film combine and obviously like music and design, because those are all parts of what goes into that. Like it's just such a mood and it just absorbs you. And I loved this film from the first frame. There's this word for something that's like warm and gooey. It's called lugubrious. Like it was lugubrious. I was just like, I feel like I'm driving. It's like sunshine as soon as you start watching it. And even though it has, it had kind of like, it almost reminded me of Virgin Suicides a little bit because it was like, had that very like removed feeling, but also very like nostalgic and it makes you feel young. Like that makes me sound super old, but like, when it was playing, I just felt like, I don't know, it just had such good vibes, even though it's about this kind of not so great feeling of being isolated from the rest of the world. It just kind of brings you in at the same time. Yeah, there's this sort of like, oh, what is that Greek myth where the um, the person's like thirsty but can't drink and like the um, hungry but can't eat? Kind of reminds me of that. Like it's, you know, something that's 
filmed just so lushly and just so lugubriously. I love that word. But it's something this whole glorious exterior that's fundamentally out of reach for so many people right now because of shelter in place. Yeah, there's definitely like a bodily function to it. Like how both are you saying? I mean, we all can relate to the dancers. We're all in this, you know, dream like world or dream state of just being indoors and wanting to like get out. I mean, like we were saying with the iPhone commercials, like we're having that same relationship. And with this film, with the grain and all, like it's some kind of pipe dream that we want to get out of. But this is what we're living right now. And the fact that they made this like during like the height, like the beginning of COVID when it was like scarier, I guess we could say. I mean, it's still scary as of now, but like, the process of just like making it was, you know, they did Zoom. They, uh, Maritza did like three types of different videos to like send to the cast. And they had a purely a skeleton crew. And the fact that they just kept it simple, I think, is what made it so successful. And I think that's also a reevaluation of like what we're living in right now is just like, how do we go back to basics, you know, or like how can we recharge? Definitely. I think it's a time of such like almost adjusting the levels, like what needs to be pared down, what can be enhanced. And this is just this project, such a great example of balancing all those levels so well. And even what you're saying about the production process, like I think that right now we're all finding new ways of working and producing I just think looking back, we're going to look at this as such an important growth spur. This is like a really awkward, unexpected puberty for everything. It's just a growth spurt for dance, for film, for people who are evaluating their career paths or their lifestyles. Would you say that we're in a dance film renaissance right now? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we're definitely at a turning point for dance film. Again, I mean, going back to. The definition of screen dance, which is something that's a dance film hybrid that's received by a screen, everything is screen dance now. Everything that's being created for the virtual platform is screen dance. And we're seeing people learning how to edit on the fly, like kind of going in with like a neophyte's um, mindset, but really, you know, discovering the creative possibilities of framing and the edit suite. And as Jen said, like this is accelerating something that probably we would have come to anyway. But it also leaves a lot of questions with regard to the greater dance film world and specifically when it comes to the festival circuit or sort of like the festival platform. Again, I think it's something that might have been inevitable in the digital age, but there's a lot of reevaluation as to whether this is a still a relevant model whether the methods of sourcing films are still relevant. Look, we're in the internet age. There's a lot of accessibility. People want to pay for like Adobe or they have iMovie or they get Final Cut Pro and just learn from YouTube how to do all these things. I fear for oversaturation within this renaissance that we're having. I think it's great that people are learning that, oh, I can make my bathroom into a screen dance. I can make my couch into dance cinema, you know, and 
Granted, I've done a couch film. Who hasn't? I've seen some bathroom films. Not my favorite. But I mean, it's all a learning process in the end. You know, when we're going into a new realm of creativity. And you got to burn some toast sometimes. Something that I think is really important about this time is that I think it's exposing certain vulnerabilities we had all across different areas of our lives. Obviously, one huge sector of that is education, both for basic, like primary and secondary schooling, but also, you know, post-secondary education and what are people doing with their professional training. There's so much being offered online and done in a distance way that we were already kind of in this a la carte era where everyone's picking and choosing and shopping almost globally for what they need in their life. But at the same time, we're definitely reevaluating what is enough, what is my niche, where am I drawing parameters around the work that needs to be done. And I, I think that I'm really mindful about the young people or the teenagers right now that were already thinking, what am I going to be when I grow up or trying to decide on college and then seeing all that's happening right now. And I hope that it's encouraging many of them to embrace technology more because it's not going anywhere and embrace technology in a way that you have some agency, not just being a passive consumer. And I think that is the most dangerous thing for us right now because we are all um, so overwhelmed and bombarded. And how do we remain creative in a time when we are so oversaturated um, and where things just start to mesh together and even something that seems unique one minute, I mean, then there's copycats the next. It's really a, a challenge. Yeah, keyword agency. Um, I think that this is going to be a time where dancers really become agents of really their own creative path and not have to, not feel like they have to adhere to a specific industrial standard of what a career path has to look like since there's no template and it's been just completely erased overnight too. With everything that's being made, it's a great way to explore. It's a great time to explore. One thing that I've been seeing at the beginning of all this is a lot of match cut editing. I would say that was like the introduction at this very start of this quarantine. We have to mention Mitchell Rose, who is very well known in this kind of style of dance filmmaking. He did not invent this. He's just very much known for it in a lot of his works. And that was the number one thing that I was seeing with a lot of like universities and companies uh, doing this style of dance filmmaking. Though he didn't invent it, he has perfected it. He has made it his signature. For Globetrotter, I specifically remember seeing so many, um, like a breakdown of, okay, here's exactly how to frame things. And I think part of why we're seeing a lot of match cuts is that people are trying to find some very basic continuity. And it's like, oh, we're I'm filming with my laptop and my laptop's not going to move. And I don't have a cinematographer because I'm in self-quarantine. So I think that it's kind of uh, it's something that made sense to come out of this time. But it, conceptually, it, it gives the idea that we're all individually in somewhat of the same circumstance. We're all in, in a similar framing, even if uh, what's in the frame is different. From another example of his exquisite course, which is not lining up the camera where it needs to be, where it's more like, where does the action fall and how can I match it in the next moment? Which I think is very 
a great growing point for dancers of like taking for dancers to not be passive watchers in this moment, you know, is paying attention of like, where does the movement go and where can that movement be transferred, you know, through the hand, through the foot, through the body, through the head, you know, or even through the frame, which I think is what makes that style of work so effective. It's like, it's cause and effect. And another film that we need to jump to, because this one is definitely a, I would say the crowd pleaser of today <laughs> that we thought was just so creative in all of its work, which is, um, Claire, why don't you bring this up? Because you you were the one that picked it out. Right. Um, the Phenom music video from Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down. Yes. So, yeah. It's so good. It's, it, it's yeah. Not that we love all the films that we've chosen. This one was just a crowd pleaser that just put a smile on everybody's faces. It was so satisfying. It was like folded t-shirts that have not been touched. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a phenomenally choreographed and uh, choreographed with full understanding of the platform that it's choreographed for as well. So this came out, I think, in April. So maybe within the month after um, Shelter in Place. And this was really one of the first music videos and I mean, really one of the first films to capitalize on the use of the Zoom platform. I think the brief story behind it was Tao was going to be working with Aaron Murray, who has choreographed for several music uh, videos um, in advance of the whole pandemic, um, similar to the way Talia was working with some of her collaborators, but Shelter in Place happened and they came up with the concept, rehearsal and execution of this, I think within the span of eight days, which for anyone who's been on a film production, that's kind of an insane turnaround. But they choreographed it right down to the point when the dancers actually log in to the Zoom meeting. And there are moments when there are actually choreographed moments when dancers have to log out and then log back in in order to rearrange the boxes. So that that was not edited. That was just chance. I think the end it result was edited. edited. It yeah, definitely I think it looks edited, but yeah, go ahead. But who cares? It's great. Yeah, like I, I did see someone say like, okay, someone like cleaned up the quote, cleaned up the technical glitches in the original performance, but it was edited with an understanding of not necessarily edited for the platform, but with an understanding of the way the platform functions. I thought all of it was edited, but when you talk about the logging on and logging off, that's where it's like, oh, chance could be a part of like where people are on screen. You know, like when they, spoiler alert, the most impressive part is when they get together to create the muscle man pose. <laughs> yeah. As well as uh, parts where they're like coordinating the pouring of the water. I mean, those are like, you know, obviously like who's going to be the hand and who's going to be the arm and the torso. That is so articulate. But it's like if it's chance, you know, it's like everybody's got to figure out that pose right away. It's so well executed and it's so satisfying to watch. I mean, I have to agree with the first comment. I mean, like. Zoom, make this your commercial. I think it's a great way to just kind of experiment with a platform and really, again, like how we talked about earlier with the National Water Dance performance, really 
play with it, how to figure it out and make something with what you got. I mean, with all these films, it's all about what is what do you have and what can you make out of it? Absolutely. This is where the creativity part really comes in. Dance Cinema's fifth season of festivals is happening online and live this year. Cascadia Dance and Cinema Festival, based in Vancouver, Canada, is happening online, while live events as part of Capital Dance and Cinema Festival will be happening at Eaton Workshop in Washington, D.C. This is all going down the weekend of October 9th to 12th, 2020, so mark your calendars. Want to share your work or get involved with the Dance Cinema Festivals? It's never too late. Film submissions are open on a rolling basis, and we're always open to new contributors to our talks, performances, and workshops. Find Dance Cinema on Film Freeway, social, and all in one place at dancecinema.co. Let's do a pick of the week. This is our, uh, we pick a film, or one of us picks a film for you that's related, unrelated to whatever we're talking about. We just want to share it because we love it. Take it away, Jen. Love it with the Rex. Love giving you some good Rex. So my pick of the week, it is a project called Tom by Wilkie Branson. Um, I first learned about Wilkie by seeing his films in like pretty much every single dance film festival. Um, his short Little Dreams was extremely popular. I even screened at both of our events. I mean, it's an audience favorite. It's beautiful. The music sounds like Adele, even though it's not. Um, but what makes his films so unique is just the stunning, uh, just the craftsmanship. And it's, it, they really are masterpieces. Um, not only does he dance and choreograph, but he edits and animates these. So it's almost like seeing um, like photographs or papers dancing. And just like it's, it's really stunning work. So the cool thing about this project, Tom, though, is the original conception of the project is as an installation. But, and it was actually supposed to have, um, there's supposed to be an installation with Sadler's Wells in the UK. And because of COVID, it was canceled. So there was a film version released. And this is an example of a, a situation where I personally benefited from something being released online because I was able to actually watch it. Whereas I would not have been able to go see the installation. And Though I've wanted to do the installation at my events, I just can't support something of such a massive scale. So I do have a little blurb um, from Wilkie's website on Tom so that I'm like, can give the official bio before we get into our reactions and our feelings about it. Um, so created by award-winning choreographer, filmmaker, and Sadler's Wells New Wave associate artist, Wilkie Branson, Tom explores storytelling using the hip-hop language of b-boying bringing it together with cutting-edge technologies, including animation, projection mapping, sound design, and film installation, playing with negative space and the projection of the work to create a depth of field. Tom is a unique and innovative dance-for-camera installation. Tom's physical installation is made of three pepper scrim holographic gauzes onto which the film projection is mapped, giving it a layered, almost pop-up effect to view the film. So as I mentioned, we saw it in, in a final video format online but yeah did either of you catch this film or the yes. making of a uh, little featurette on on yes, youtube actually, <laughs> i saw the trailer yeah i was actually lucky enough um to catch the whole film and it's a stunning stunning film and just so mm -hmm. you know 
metic- yeah, as you said, meticulously crafted. And it's hilarious looking at behind the scenes uh, photos of the process because bas- it's basically <laughs> like a green screen in Wilkie's, I think, was his garage or something where it's literally like him just like yeah. moving in front of a green screen in his garage and just creating something that really epic really out of it is really is extraordinary. Oh my gosh. I'd be interested in like a scan of his brain while he's like creating all this work. There's just such uh, so many layers to it. And oh, it kind of reminds me of like, you guys know in Toy Story 2, when Woody basically gets a makeover. This is like one of my favorite movie scenes of all time where like the old man is like repainting his shoes and like polishing up his hat. Like it's so detailed and zoomed in and specific. And mm-hmm. it's all, or like a Wes Anderson film. Like I, I didn't even see Isle of Dogs, but you know what I mean? Just like the to be in the presence of such detail and such craftsmanship. Yeah. It's just... I, I'm in awe. I am just in awe of this sort of thing. It's incredible. I should calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an awesome pick of the week, Jen. And all of these films that we're talking about, including Tom by Wilkie Branson, is located in the show notes. We have the trailer as well as the making of the film. I hope you all could find it somewhere to actually watch it. But other than that, uh, this is Frameform, and we're happy that we got to talk to you guys today about creative quarantine. Uh, feel free to find us on Instagram at FrameformPod. That is Frameform, P-O-D. And also email us at FrameformPodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Well, it was awesome talking to y'all. Yes. We'll see yes. each other next see week. y'all then. Excellent. Frameform is a production of Rixie. Hosted by me, Hannah Weber, Claire Schweitzer, and Jen Wright. Edited and mixed by myself and Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>